this podcast, Brian Robertson from Holacracy One talks about an interesting way to structure your organization for future of work. So stay tuned. So welcome everyone to Jobs of Future podcast. Today we have with us an interesting guest, uh, Brian Robertson, and he's a brief bio. So Brian is an experienced entrepreneur, organizational pioneer, and author of the book Holacracy, the new management system for a rapidly changing world. He is most well known for his work uh, developing Holacracy, a self-management practice for running purpose-driven, responsive companies. Uh, Mr. Robertson currently works as a business partner at Holacracy One, the organization he launched to steward the Holacracy practice and assist other organizations seeking to adopt it. Holacracy has been adopted by over 1,000 uh, companies around the world to date. With that, Brian, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Vishal. Beautiful. So before we start, let's walk us through your journey. Like w- what brought you to this point and what brought it to, uh, to, to today? Yeah, sure. So I'm an entrepreneur and my background's in software. I was a software developer for many years before that. And um, I worked at this company for a number of years. It was an aerospace firm and it won an award for being the best mid-sized company to work for in America. And I realized I didn't like working there. <laughs> and I thought I've got a problem, right? I don't like working for the best company to work for in the country. <laughs> Something's wrong here. Um, and you know, it, it was actually an amazing co- company, but it was a it was a conventional company, right? It it was it won that award because it had great perks, it had great uh, benefits, it had a cool culture and great people and all that. But that wasn't enough for me. I, I wanted meaningful work, and I wanted the ability to bring my my full self to the workplace, uh, all of my passion and talent and, and quirks and everything with it for the sake of a purpose that I really cared about. And I worked in that company because I cared about the purpose. Uh, we were advancing space exploration, right? And that kind of left me, le- led me to start my own company. Um, so I, I started my first company really as an experiment ground. Uh, for me, I just had this sense, there's got to be a better way to do this. You know, and I didn't know what it was, but the feeling was there's got to be a better way to work together. Um, the, the trouble was in that company, as great as the environment was in some ways, it still suffered from politics and bureaucracy, and it was still really hard to drive positive change. And you had to kind of play the game, right? You had to, you know, only bring a little piece to yourself and manage your image and make sure you could, you know, play the politics to get anything done. And I just wanted a, a, a different game where we could be authentic humans. We could fully show up. We could express our emotions, our, our passion, everything, and, and work together in a more authentic, more powerful way. So for the next uh, seven or eight years of building my software company, I experimented. Um, I used it as a laboratory. We tried every new idea, technique, process, anything we could find to maybe find a, a different paradigm for how to, how to work together. And it was over the many years of that experimentation that led me to my work now and the method that we call holacracy, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But um, for me, it was this, I, I think when people first hear about holacracy, I'm an author, I've got a book, it's easy to think that this kind of came about in an academic way, right? And I think what uh, people often don't realize is I'm not an academic. <laughs> I'm an entrepreneur. 
Um, I used to running organizations, building things, getting things done. And that's where Holacracy came from. That's where my work came from. It was experimenting in my own company. Interesting. And and what made you um, to jump and, and start the organization around this concept? Like what was that pivotal moment when you said, okay, uh, okay, I'm willing to do it more often and for more companies rather than just for my own company. What 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 was that mindset? If you can walk us through that. Yeah. So okay, in the the very beginning, it was in my software company that this method kind of got built. And in that case, we didn't even have a concept. Mm. I started that company just to experiment. And over those years of developing a concept that eventually we named Holacracy, uh, then I, I left to start my current company. This is about 10 years ago now. So 10 years ago, I left that software company where Holacracy was incubated and went to start a company to spread it. And in that case, you know, the, the funny thing, I never started pioneering Holacracy in the beginning thinking that anyone else would mm. care, right? It was, I just wanted a better way to run my company. I wanted to be in this kind of environment. <laughs> and, you know, it turns out other people want meaningful work. Other people want an end to politics and bureaucracy. Other people want to be able to actually have really powerful contributions. And I started seeing CEOs of uh, other companies, friends of mine, uh, others that were really trying to find different ways to work together, started seeing what I was doing and saying, I want that too. And so it wasn't intentional. It was just my network started getting interested. And so that kind of inspired me to say, you know, maybe maybe others would benefit from this. And I had no idea just how, how uh, much demand there would be. Um, so 10 years ago, I, I left my software company and started spreading this to the world. And, you know, the, the first five years, it's funny, very, very slow. It was just, I mean, this is a totally different way to run a business. I'm sure we'll talk about that. It's, it's really, it was difficult in the first five years to find anyone that really wanted to do it outside the initial small mm. group. But then over the past five, it's just like the right time and place. It's been booming. And, you know, it's spreading like wild. It's all over the world, all different countries. And it's really amazing to see how many companies now are stepping up and saying, we want a wildly different way of running a business. Beautiful. beautiful. And and so what is your current, what's your today looks like? So what, what is a typical day in um, in Brian's life? If you can, if you can walk us through that. The only thing typical for me is probably how atypical <laughs> my days are, right? Um, you know, I fill lots of different roles. So one of the things that the method Holacracy does is it breaks down work into lots of discrete roles. And I have 30 different roles. And on any given day, I'm doing a different different role, typically. So some days I'm doing public speaking, I'm traveling, I'm giving a talk at a conference. Some days I'm training, I do a lot of, I'm a fellow trainer role. Some days I'm doing businessy stuff, sitting in my home office, um, some days I'm helping out one of my colleagues. We have a, a team of people. But the interesting thing to me is, I mean, that's typical for an entrepreneur, right? I do different things all the time. I have lots of hats. But what's really interesting to me about this, the same is true of most other people in my company. So it's not just me, the founder, the entrepreneur. Everyone in my business looks a lot more like an entrepreneur than they do a typical employee. Mm. And I think that's really interesting, right? It's, it's uh, even our, our newest hires right out of college are coming into an environment that treats them like an entrepreneur and expects them to, to step up and take some real leadership over their work. And they consistently do. So for me, that's the, the interesting thing. It's everyone in my company's work life looks much more like that. And I think that's a lot where we're going to see the future of work going. It's it's a lot more people, a lot more like entrepreneurs than employees. Interesting. Now, now let's get to the meat of the stuff. So what is, uh, what is Hello Crazy? Like what, if you can walk us through 
what is what is it? Yeah, sure. So Holacracy is a, a framework for running a company with no managers and no management hierarchy of any sort. So the thousands of companies around the world today doing Holacracy, they don't have a management hierarchy. Uh, they have something else instead. Holacracy is a replacement for the management hierarchy. And I, I'd like to explain this by covering two things that it's not. There's two common misconceptions. When I say there's no managers and no management hierarchy, uh, often people think what I'm saying is that there is no structure. Mm -hmm. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, in fact, companies running with Holacracy are more structured, not less than a management hierarchy. They just get to the structure differently. Mm -hmm. Instead of managers handing down structure top down, the structure comes from people working together on a team in a process that defines their own structure of the team. But you still do have structure. You have clarity on who, what are the roles involved? Who fills which roles? What decisions does each person make? Um, what can you expect of each other, right? What processes do we follow? All of that structure is, it's actually more structured, not less. It's just instead of managers dictating it, it's an emergent structure that, that comes from the team working together, learning together. Mm -hmm. So a, a great metaphor for that is look at the human body. We have trillions of cells working together and there's no CEO cell telling the others what to do, right? There's no management hierarchy of boss cells down a hierarchy commanding the action, right? Every cell has autonomy and yet every cell is part of a larger organ, a larger system. And they all kind of work together and do their function in different ways. But there is structure there. There's order. It's highly ordered but it's a highly ordered system that actually deals better in chaos than our typical top-down command and control systems. So that's misconception number mm. one, that no managers means mm. no structure. Uh, the second major misconception that people get, when I, I say this is a, a way of working without managers, people think that must mean that decisions are made by groups in some kind of meeting or consensus or something like that. And I, I find the irony of this as far as I can tell, that's how decisions are made in management hierarchies. Right? I mean, <laughs> in most of our companies today, if you want to get something done, you have to call a meeting, you have to socialize it, you have to get everyone you work with bought in. It's a slow, painful process where good ideas go to die, right? Uh, the irony is with Holacracy, there's no managers, but there's more autocratic decision making. The difference is it's decentralized, it's distributed. Right, So everybody knows what's their decision to make. It's, it's more like everybody's a CEO of their role or their piece in this system. It's not leaderless, it's leaderful, right? So you end up like, for example, in my work, I know I'm our mm. trainer. I make all of the decisions autocratically about how I deliver mm. trainings, but somebody else uh, does our training business developments and they decide what cities to schedule trainings in. And that is their autocratic decision. They don't need buy-in from anyone. And somebody else fills the role of choosing the hotels or the venues for our trainings. And that's their autocratic decision. So it's, it's decentralized decision-making. Everyone knows what's theirs to decide and what's expected of them to go with that power, right? And there is no status hierarchy of managers. There's nobody who can overrule a decision or veto a decision. Mm -hmm. If it's your role, you have decision-making power within defined limits. And those limits are clear, they're spelled out, and there's a process for changing those over time as we learn better ways to work together. So that, in a nutshell, is what Holacracy is. It replaces the top-down management hierarchy with a framework, a, a governance framework, if you will, a different way of breaking down structure and deciding who's going to make which decisions 
and then it gets out of people's way and leaves them free to lead. We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI-powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. Interesting, fascinating. So I think when I was thinking about um, uh, hierarchy, right? So one of the one of the one of the reasoning that that most of us get is, hey, you know. we read about tribal leadership we read about tribes we lead we we read about all those all those frameworks and they say okay tribes are important right so there is it's it's our um it's our way that helped us exist or or like whatever is uh, till now and and many of the organizations are pretty much structured in the, in this way right and so there's a tribe leader then there's tribe and there's hunter there's a gatherer all that fun stuff happening uh, within an organization so when when you when you sort of put them through um holacracy lens how would that transform like what how would you convince someone that hey uh, maybe there's a better way to look at and and, and still maintain to save your tribe uh, what would what would you say well to use that metaphor uh, if you look at the history of human society and and civilization um our original tribal forms of organizing eventually kind of gave way to we had tribal leaders and then we had Well, leaders, we had kings, right? It kind of there's an evolution okay. towards that, and uh, you know, you look at like a monarchy is kind of the ultimate mm-hmm. example of of that endpoint of that tribal development. And so you've got some tribe wins, and it's their people, and some tribal leaders, and then hereditary rule comes in. And and I'm not knocking mm-hmm. that for a long time in human history, that was a beautiful way to organize and work. But as complexity in society increased. that kind of top down governance and control from a tribal leader started getting more and more and more difficult to get good results with and then we had this huge leap that happened mm. where we shifted to rule of law we shifted from just a local tribal warlord leader or whatever to know the laws are even above the king not even the king is above the law that leap right from kind of tribal uh, uh, absolute monarchies mm. to rule of law and eventually to our kind of modern dem- democracies and things like that where law is is first that was huge and that was also went with the leap to markets and and more decentralized control instead of top down planned economies we got economies that we still have a framework of mm-hmm. order right we have regulations and laws that give us a framework but within that we have people that have a lot of mm-hmm. freedom nobody tells you what job you should have and what you should do every day right you you kind of live your own life you transact you go to the store you shop you can run a business and that kind of order works better in the face of complexity we've seen that again and again and again in a human as a human society we haven't quite learned that lesson in our mm. companies we go into our companies and like stepping back into a feudal system there's a king right as you know there's there's barons or chosen few and there's there's peasants mm. and uh, and there's this top down planned economy mm. right so The thing is that leap doesn't remove mm-hmm. tribes it just shifts the way power works to put something else over it. So, you know, I still have my mm-hmm. tribe in life in my communities. I've got a a tight community, uh, you know, and I really love my people and my tribe and my community and it feels great and I get so much support mm-hmm. from them. In fact, more so because power is removed. I still have autonomy over my life. You know, if I lived in a, a local feudal society, I, I might try to build a good relationship with the baron. 
but how much good relationship can I build when the Baron has the legal right to come in and take my property at any mm. point or take my wife or whatever as sometimes <laughs> happened in tribal society, right? So, you know, when uh, one of the things holacracy does is remove power from being held in the personal relationships in the mm. tribe and says, no, we're going to have a governance process that everyone's invited to contribute to for the sake of a purpose. And the purpose is going to come first and the governance is going to come first. And that's where power works. And that doesn't remove the tribe. It actually frees me to have good human to human connection and relationship without all that power stuff in the way, without having to play the politics of the power game, right? Which I think is just so powerful. I have much deeper relationship. I get to love the people I work with. I don't know how many people can genuinely say they love the people they work with. No, I think so. You have a very, very interesting point. And I, I couldn't agree more that um, the traditional hierarchy it's adding more delays uh, and sort of when we are, we need to move faster, this thing really clogs. And I think your analogy of leaks, um, that's that's beautifully put, right? So that's, we all see it in, in almost every organization we, de- we deal with. But I think the other, on the, on the other side, if, if I look at this, right? Um, when you talk about structure, it's it's very core to the culture of a, of, of a corporation. It, it pretty much plays a pivotal role in why they exist the way they exist, right? It, it is, to many organizations, this is their core competency. So the businesses that you have successfully, or you have successfully uh, cracked open and, and, and make them be on a very mindful, uh, mindfully looking at the structure and changing, what do you think has really worked? Like what are some of the, some of the secret sauce that you could share that has helped businesses say, oh, wow, Maybe I'm, 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 this is not working for me. And maybe I should, I should look at uh, alternative frameworks like Holacracy and, and like what, what has been your sort of magic sauce that businesses that helped you crack some businesses open. We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website First Friday Fair dot tao dot ai and find your next dream job let's get back to the podcast it's the funny thing is so i kind of heard two questions in there one was like how do we get them to be aware right. that this might be something they want to do and then how do we actually implement it or, or get them there right after the first one like how do we convince anyone to do this as far as i can tell nothing works <laughs> i have no idea i can't do that i've never succeeded in convincing somebody that they should do this what I've succeeded at doing is finding people that don't need to be convinced mm. um, or who have convinced themselves, right? And I think that's what's so um, interesting to me about this work. The leaders that are doing this, they don't need to be sold on this. I mean, they might need the details. They might want to work through and make sure this is the right framework for them. But the idea of finding a different way to organize is already intuitive to them. Right. So what we do is not try to convince anyone. I've never seen that successful. It's I I try to find the leaders that have already had this internal shift themselves Mm. and that see the world a little differently. You know, the ones that kind of already have an intuitive sense. uh, It's often leaders that have a lot of their own personal development. They've gone through a lot. They have their own. uh, uh, Many of them have their own spiritual practices or mindfulness practices of some sort. Uh, They're already really sophisticated, complex thinkers. They've kind of gone through a lot. They see the world in in differently. And for them, they see something like this and the idea of self-organization and self-management and the metaphors I use to the human body and how 
biology organizes, how nature organizes, they're just intuitive. They just make complete sense. And so then they just want to see how does this specific framework work? And that's really easy to answer when somebody actually gets that kind of paradigm view. So it's those, I've never been able to just impart that to somebody. All I've been able to do is, you know, connect with people that, but there's a lot of them in the world. There's a lot of leaders that, you know, they may not even know it themselves yet, but they know that something doesn't quite feel right. <laughs> I, I just rewatched The Matrix a while ago, <laughs> a, a couple of weeks ago. And it's like that. Like, I want the people that are already looking for the red pill, yeah. you know, like the ones that already sense that they're in the matrix and they want mm. out. <laughs> you know? And um, those leaders, now the challenge then is once they take the red pill and they really see holacracy and what it can mm. do, how do we actually shift their system? Because there's a culture there, 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 and sometimes that culture will fight it, right? Uh, the corporate antibodies come out and attack this foreign invader when you bring in a different paradigm. But as long as you've got the commitment of someone at the top, and that's often the CEO, but not always. We have big companies that have done this. Um, there's departments in big companies, and not the whole company, but departments. And in that case, it's a department leader that has a lot of command authority in their world, their area who says, I'm going to do this despite the bigger company around me, right? And, and there have been some very big entities that have done that. Those leaders then have the job of how do I, how do I shift this whole system? And for that, we've learned a lot of lessons. But with that support, you've got a lot to work with. With the support of a leader at the top who can say, we're doing this. Um, and it's often, uh, to use a, a metaphor, as Zappos does holacracy and Tony Shea, I asked him uh, kind of what was his strategy um, for rolling this out, because he had a lot of resistance mm. in the early days, especially. Um, he used the metaphor of when the early settlers, well, I forget who it was, one of the early explorers who was settling in North America from Europe landed his boats. One of the first orders he gave was to have his men burn the ships. Mm. And he wanted everyone to know, we're not going back, <laughs> right? And we're in, we're gonna figure this out. And that was his metaphor for adopting holacracy at Zappos. It was, we're going to burn the ships. In other words, make a clear, strong statement to everyone. This is the new way of it. There is no more management hierarchy. There is no more manager authority. Authority now comes from the governance process of holacracy. Holacracy has a constitution. So it's much like that shift from monarch to constitution, right? He signed the constitution and said, this is our power structure now. And we are not going back. Burn the ships. You either figure this out or not, you decide this isn't the environment for you, but we're shifting power fundamentally here. Interesting. Um, so that constitution is one of our key learnings of how to do that. It, it's it's symbolic, not everyone reads it, who cares? It's a symbolic shift of this is how power works. Interesting. Uh, and then we've learned a lot about helping people build habits and that takes time. Mm -hmm. It's a long process. It's like, how do you you know change your own lifestyle habits? That's what this is. It's It's a big, huge change. It's hard and it will take a long, it's a many year journey. Um, many years. David Allen, he wrote the book, Getting Things Done, and his company adopted Holacracy. He wrote the foreword to my book. And one of the things he wrote in the foreword was his intuition was this was a five-year journey. <laughs> and I think he's right. This is a huge change. This is this is a massive change. And I think, so if, if you can walk me through the early days of, of, of your Holacracy One uh, company, uh, getting someone to just give up or maybe change a single process takes forever right it just it freaks people out it just they, they fight and flight instincts kick in and all the swords come out and all that fun stuff now let alone talking um on on this interesting journey walk us through that initial few clients like what really cracked them open 
uh, to the point that say, okay, yes, nothing is working, and I I should I should embark on this journey. Yeah. So again, by the time they they're talking to us, they already know that their bureaucracy is set in. They're losing agility. They're and this happens as companies grow. You know, things are getting harder. It's especially painful. A lot of the clients that come to us are entrepreneurs who. Uh, when they were, you know, five people, ten people, twenty, even fifty, even there was some agility left. But then every additional hire, they start losing the entrepreneurial spirit, and that's painful for an entrepreneur that wants to move fast and wants others to be entrepreneurial. Seeing management bureaucracies sink in is painful. Mm. So a lot of them are finding us; they're already feeling that. Um, it's the shift that's interesting. I, I can tell you one story. Uh, this is a true story from my own company, just to illustrate kind of the difference in what you were describing of the the difficulty of getting change. As that builds up and builds up, here's a true story. Um, uh, so in my company, I fill a role called spokesperson. I'm doing it right now. I do a lot of interviews and stuff like that. It's one of about 30 roles I fill, and uh, I work with a colleague um, who fills a role called casting agent. And our casting agent books me for talks, right? And um, we get a, I get a lot of invites to. Speak at conferences so the casting agent has to filter all these invites and figure out which ones to actually send me to and which not so she often spends a lot of effort like negotiating with a conference um, trying to figure out is it the right audience you know all that spends a lot of energy with the organizer planning it and then at the end of her process she was presenting to me okay here's the opportunity here's mm -hmm. the conference and often I would shoot it down I would say no you know I don't think it's the right market not worth my time I'm not gonna go right or the audience isn't big enough or whatever and you can imagine she was feeling really disempowered, mm. right? She was frustrated by the process of this. She, she'd spent mm. all this time and energy, and at the end of her process, I'd shoot her down. So in most companies, imagine you know how difficult mm. that might be to, to just get a change in the process. I'm the founder, I'm busy, whatever. She, here's what she did um, in Holacracy, right? In, in, in an environment using Holacracy, she had tools available to her that she wouldn't have in a management hierarchy. She showed up at a governance meeting of our marketing team, which is both of those roles are in our marketing team, right? So every team, every circle, we call them circles, every team or circle has these governance meetings regularly. Um, and every team's doing this, not just at the top. So she shows up in a governance meeting and anyone filling a role is invited to show up in that meeting and propose a change to any process or any other role in the team. So she shows up and she says, I'd like to add an expectation on the spokesperson role. I'd like to expect the spokesperson is accountable for defining and publishing the criteria you use to accept or reject speaking invites. She said, because if I knew your criteria, I could assess them myself at the beginning of my process, and I could not spend a lot of time and waste time with ones that don't fit the criteria. So she said, I'd like to be able to count on you to do that, add an accountability to my role. It took about two minutes to get that accountability added in that meeting. So the meeting is a really structured decision-making process. Uh, we're not looking for consensus in that meeting. That's key. We're not asking anyone, do you agree with this? Do you think this is the right idea that would get us bogged down in a swamp? Uh, instead, the only real question on the table is, does anyone see any reason why adding that expectation on the spokesperson role will get in your way of doing your work? Right? If no one can give a tangible reason for why that expectation will get in their way of doing their work, it is automatically added and accepted. Interesting. And if somebody has a reason that doesn't shoot down the proposal, it just gives us a puzzle to solve. How can we add what she needs without getting in someone else's way? Mm. So in this case, no one saw any reason why that would get in their way of doing their work, including me in our spokesperson role. I can do that. 
So two minutes later, she had a new expectation of my role, and she was able to turn to me and say, so when do you think you're going to have that done for me by? Right, that initial list. Interesting. Now, the interesting footnote of this story, she was our newest hire right out of college. Mm -hmm. And I'm the founder of the company and a seasoned CEO in my past, right? In what companies do you know where the, the newest mm -hmm. hire right out of college in two minutes can add an expectation onto the founder and then turn to him and say, when are you going to have that done for me? By? <laughs> Pretty right? cool. And, and to me, that illustrates the beauty of how easy it gets to change processes when you need to to get your job done more effectively. Because it's not about the status and the egos and the politics. Mm -hmm. How long would it have taken the newest hire right out of college in a typical company, not just to make the change, but to even get up the courage to talk about it, right? To even, even ask, let alone the politics and the, I mean, that kind of stuff just sticks around forever. Probably she just complains about it to others, right? And, you know, <laughs> interesting. so, you know, that's the taste that people get of how agile their organization can be and how much they can get from power held in the people to power held in the purpose and what we need to get our work done, right? So that's what I think inspires some of these leaders to take the huge task of making this kind of change. Beautiful. So what about, um, so if I'm an organization and I, I'm, I'm scarred with this delayed decision and I'm seeing all this leaks, all that fun stuff, like from your vantage point, at what stage I should just say, hey, I should, look for an alternative or I should look uh, look and, and contact you. Like what would, from your vantage point, when have you seen um, companies crack open and say, hey, I need some help? We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI-powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. Yeah, it's the point in time where the things I'm saying right now actually land and resonate and somebody says, I get it, right? Yeah, like there's got to be a better way. And that's not to say they should jump mm -hmm. right into adoptalocracy. You shouldn't. It's a huge mm -hmm. change, but you should at least explore it. Most people don't realize there are fundamentally different ways of organizing companies mm -hmm. today. And they're, they're in use. There's, there's conferences about this. There's books about this now. This has gone from a fringe thing even just 10 years ago to a mainstream thing that's, that's actually getting some real momentum. Uh, and for good reason, because it's working for a lot of companies. So my, my message isn't jump right into adopting it. And maybe Holacracy is not the right framework. There might be other answers. But if what I'm saying is, is landing, if, if it hits that intuitive spot for someone where they say, yeah, this self-organization thing, there's something about that that speaks to me. Uh, or even intuition, there's got to be a better way. And a sense of the bureaucracy and the politics and all that slowing things down. If that lands, then at least explore it. You know, I, I mean, you can. There's, there's little workshops done by people all over the world now in Holacracy where you can go taste it. You can get an actual little experience, a little simulation of how this would work. Or you can bring my company into your own mm. team or other, there's other, there's a whole network of licensed holacracy coaches out there now. And they'll come in and they'll give you a taste of what it's like to run your real team with this method. And you can compare it directly to how's that normally work. And even if you decide not to do holacracy after that, you can leave with some really tangible improvements to the way you, you organize, or at least inspired to go, go do something different. Interesting. Um, 
<coughs> so so from 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 your vantage point uh, if we look at holacracy uh, a typical organization has people process and product and it's it's just a a, a, a giant ball uh, with all those three keyword interacting so from your executional perspective like if you look at this organization um, do you need for holacracy to be implemented uh, the processes are your sort of holy grail where you should you should indulge first or people like would which one do you do you rely more on on getting you through and getting a deployment right or something yeah it's they're all interwoven um i mean i think you you call it you know big ball together it's it's really holacracy mm-hmm. does what it can to, to differentiate them and let each one have its mm-hmm. space but i think if you take on any major massive change initiative mm-hmm and you only focus on one of those dimensions, you've got a problem, right? So um, what we typically do when we're supporting a company, uh, we make a symbolic shift from the beginning. We have the CEO sign the holacracy constitution, mm-hmm. cede their power to run things into a, a documented governance structure, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's, and that, it's an open source document, the holacracy constitution. It spells out the rules of the game. Mm-hmm. I think of holacracy like a new game, a new sport. Mm-hmm. And there's a rule to, rules to that sport. You're adopting a rule book and saying, this is now how the game of powers can be played in this company. Um, but you can't just try to focus on just, here's the new process, go and expect an overnight mm-hmm. change. Day one, when the CEO signs that document, nothing changes. Everyone's in their old habits, their old patterns, right? So now you have the difficult work of changing habits. Um, and that's where we focus now on habit change, which is much more at the people level, right? Like looking at, how do we help people get new habits for how they influence others and how they make decisions, right? I, often people are in the habit when they have a decision to make to just call a meeting or go to a meeting and socialize it and try to get buy-in, which is one of the things holacracy changes. It changes that to be more focused on what role has the authority to make this decision and then who's going to lead that role. And do we need to clarify the role so we know whose burden of leadership this is? But there's all these new habits there and that's Process isn't enough. So we do focus at the process level, absolutely. Mm-hmm. There's a governance process in Holacracy with very specific steps. Um, and it's really key to get that process down. But it's only as good as people really using that process outside of the governance meeting. They have to use a new power structure. Mm-hmm. And that takes a very personal behavior change. Um, one of my favorite uh, metaphors for this and for, for changes like this, uh, there was an article in The New Yorker um, many years ago that was looking at two major medical innovations um, and how how really paradigm shifting innovation spreads. And they were contrasting anesthesia from antiseptic technology. Mm. They both emerged in the same general era of medicine. Mm. They were both comparably impactful. They were massively transformative for human lives, right? Um, but they spread totally differently. Uh, one of them spread instantly within weeks it was in use on every major hospital around the world it was amazing how fast it spread from its first publication and the other took generations mm. to spread and had doctors attacking it and fighting it uh, and it was fascinating so they looked at the difference um, if you can't guess which is which anesthesia is the one that spread instantly mm. and the reason is it simply makes doctors lives easier and it takes no habit change right doctors go from trying to operate really quickly on screaming patients, and it's miserable for the, the surgeon, mm. right? To peaceful, they're asleep, they can take their time, they don't have screaming, thrashing bodies, right? It's easy. Antiseptic technology, mm. on the other hand, early antiseptic technology, it took deep habit change. Doctors had to wash their hands with acidic mm. soap 
It was a carbolic acid that burned their hands. Uh, they operated to do this. They had misters spraying a mist of carbolic acid over the surgical field. So they're breathing acid, right, while operating. Um, now, it saved insane amounts of lives, but it required doctors to do something painful for them and to admit that they were part of the problem, mm. right? That actually the limit was in their practices and they had to do deep habit change and they fought it. Uh, it was really hard for that to take over the world. Like it, it eventually did. It took, it took an older generation dying for that innovation to spread in the younger generation. And unfortunately, here's the bad news for anyone wanting to transform organizations. Mm. Guess which of those categories something like holacracy fits into, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's it's the antiseptic mm. of, of management theory, right? It's it's taking a deep behavior change to a radically different way. And it's taking bosses and leaders first looking in the mirror and saying, maybe the way we lead has become the limit. Not to knock it, it's, it's gotten us to where we are and it's become the limit. And so it's taking a, a deep look in the mirror to change, how do I show up as a leader? And how do I show up in a way that creates leaders, not creates followers? Fascinating. And how do I radically change my way of organizing? I think that's that's a beautiful story. So, um, from the from the organizational point of view, and and from the the clients that you have dealt with, what is the sweet spot where you see that getting holacracy across is the easiest for you guys, or or, or which company you have the most struggle? Like, what is it? What is the sweet spot on the size of the organization? that can adopt this pretty easily, if at all, there's something like that. The smaller, the easier. Uh, Three-person companies have an easy time, as long as they can get the right help or training or something. Mm. There's Sometimes there's budget issues. Small companies sometimes can't afford training and that makes it a lot harder. Um, but as long as you can either get somebody trained or get a good coach to come in and help you, smaller, the easier. Um, 50 to 100 people, uh, still a really manageable change because you can get that many people in a room. You can uh, things can spread in that network pretty quick. By the time you get to three to four hundred people, the change gets an order of magnitude more difficult mm. than fifty, right? And then by the time you get to thousands, a uh, thousand plus, it's yet another mm. leap harder. Uh, in fact, what you have to do at that size is break it down mm. and almost treat it like one department at a time. Get them really, you know spun up and it can take many, many, many years to, to even roll out the initial change at that size, um, which is why we see the larger companies adopting it more at a department level for now. And then sometimes that's spreading like an internal virus to other neighboring departments. Mm. Uh, so smaller, the better. Um, and the other thing that's common, it's uh, people often ask like what industries, uh, but I can't tell you that it's across the board. I see high tech, manufacturing, low tech, uh, retail, service, um, government agencies, there's several government agencies now that have adopted this, um, for-profit, non-profit. The, the common thread is the leader mm. who's adopting it. Uh, it's, that's by far most powerful common thread. Those leaders, it's what I described before, they're remarkable people with their own kind of just self-awareness, uh, their own personal development, their own way of seeing the world differently than most people in our modern world around them do. Interesting. That's the common thread. So, and, and uh, I think that was, um, you almost stepped on my, my follow, follow up question on that. Um, so if suppose I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big organization, right? And, and getting anything, uh, as you rightly said, that it's, it's, it's the complexity of doing anything is, it's magnitude harder than, than a smaller company. And 
now you on on one side you said that uh, getting holacracy you need a, a a company level buy in you need everyone just just to step in and say okay i'm committed to this and all that right but in a in a big organization the so the fire starts small and then it spreads right and you rightly uh, said that uh, in that con- construct what has been your experience in say deploying something like this in a small environment where there's a bigger hierarchy in play as well interacting and maybe in some in in some ways threatened by such model like what have what have you seen when you, when you when you have seen this deployed in a smaller team and in, in in a bigger organization how would it behave that ways yeah oh it's it's such an interesting challenge it's it's harder than in a small company where the ceo is on board you know and the whole thing's doing it um it, it's almost becomes like that team speaks a different language mm. um you know it's it's and they still have to translate mm. i mean they have to show up for the rest of their company like the rest of the company expects mm. right so there's this translation layer that happens where like you have to present to the rest of the company the world they expect even while internally you're speaking a totally different language and organizing differently and the more the outside world sees that the more it becomes that's a weird thing <laughs> and you have to be careful a little bit of view visibility can be powerful and they can get curious too much and they get frustrated they want to see what they expect so you kind of have to manage that that uh, translation layer really carefully um and sometimes the rest of the company starts you, you uh, the part of the company doing holacracy is going to feel a lot of tension mm-hmm. with the rest of the company because so many of those policies they start seeing how limiting they are so for example we've had uh, departments starting to realize the way we do performance management mm-hmm. which is mandated mm-hmm. from hr or AI, is actually completely getting in the way of us being agile and self-managing and not like playing politics and I think everyone knows that to some degree in companies but holacracy like turns the lights mm. on and it shines this bright light on it and it makes it so obvious and painful how all of these other policies compensation hr whatever policies are getting in the way uh, of just you being humans together for a purpose and agile and and self-managing so I think one of the big challenges those teams have is can they influence the broader policies mm. or can they insulate themselves from them? And sometimes we've had teams that have said, "You know what? We're just going to violate them as best we can while looking like we're not." <laughs> we've had teams say, "We're just going to have to align with them." Mm. And, you know, all well, we'll do the best we can with that, and that's fine. And we've had teams say, well, "We're going to go fight this battle and we're going to try to change them. At least get an exception to them so that we can experiment." and when you have a sponsor that's higher mm. up uh, that really really helps. Uh, we've seen there was one department at Google that was doing holacracy and it was going great they were in the learning curve things were moving and then the broader mm. company they didn't even know really i mean they they may have heard of it but they didn't know much about holacracy um they just reorganized mm. and they split the department in two and they put in new leaders and the new leaders came in and said ah we're just going to lead the way we're mm. used to and they threw it out. <laughs> so that was a shame mm. it was like it was working and suddenly broader company politics and reorg comes mm. in and kills it. So there's challenges within that but there's also success stories. Um and you know it's it's those success stories that can start really changing the way the broader company works. That's the potential anyway. Um we'll see if we ever get to a point where you know it spreads to a, a many tens of thousands of employee organization just starting one no department. i think so it, it 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 completely makes sense i think from 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 the vantage point of inefficiency 
one of the biggest inefficiency in today's corporate landscape is the hierarchy right that's everyone is trying to kill hierarchy and trying to figure so i i think i from from what i had seen or what i am seeing this least of the worry nowadays to educate business about they're inefficient if they have multiple layers right so that's it's very clear right now everyone is trying to flatten their organization so i think from that point of view it's beautiful um, now now let's 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 uh, focus on that little guy so if i'm if i'm that frustrated guy in a company that just seeing all those leaks and all that fun stuff and how would i engage uh, how would i engage my corporation to to get this buy in across or how would i sort of start to tune my organization like what would you suggest to that that little guy uh, in in a corner somewhere getting frustrated about the organizational structure and all that leaks yeah yeah i feel so much empathy for that <laughs> i've been there in my past too and <laughs> it's hard to influence these big systems um one of the uh, things i did <laughs> when i was writing my book um i sent one of the early drafts to my publisher and he said you've got to add a chapter on what that guy can yes. do right what that little guy can do that can't just say i'm adopting holacracy for, for the whole thing what can they use mm -hmm. in this and I told my publisher, no, no way. You know, like the only way this gets real transformation is if the whole company really jumps in and does it. So I can't do that, no way. And he pushed back and he said, no, there's gotta be something. I don't believe you. So I determined to prove him wrong. I posted it to Facebook and I posted it to my network and I said, look, here's what my publisher wants. I'm sure this isn't really possible, but can anyone share any examples mm. of what you've done with Holacracy as just an employee in a bigger company for those of you who went to our trainings or whatever? And I got all these stories back and I was shocked, right? And I was like, oh, there actually are. I mean, it may not transform the whole thing, but there are principles you can do that people have been using with huge impact. So I used those stories. I wrote a chapter, I wrote the chapter, it's in the book. So one thing you can do is go read that chapter in that book. But, um, you know, simple things, uh, just a, here's a little example uh, taken from Holacracy. Uh, in most meetings today, we have topics on our agenda and we talk about the topic until everyone is bought in and satisfied. And that's, I think, part of what makes meetings so painful. Instead, little shift, Holacracy does this, but you can apply this tomorrow mm -hmm. in your meetings. Don't build your agenda with topics that we need to discuss until we find agreement. Mm -hmm. Instead, every person, build your agenda on the fly in the meeting, not before. Every person can add an agenda item, not to be a topic to get consensus on, but with their own tension. Mm -hmm. And I define attention as when you're feeling a gap between where you are and where you want us to be, right? The gap between where we are and where we could be. So build your agenda with specific tensions sensed by specific people. And then when it gets to that agenda item, make the entire focus just on helping the one person who raised the agenda item say, I got what I need. So it's not for anyone else. It's not so anyone else can agree. It's not so anyone else feels complete except the one person who added the agenda. Mm. And it's it's a really interesting shift that that does. Um, it's a lot like in a personal relationship, mm. actually. I found long ago in my intimate relationships, you know, when my, my partner brings a topic to me and, you know, says, hey, I've got attention with something you're doing, it actually doesn't work that well when I say, oh yeah, well, I have attention with what you're doing and we get into a fight, right? Uh, it works way better when mm. I wait to bring my own and I say, let me just hear you out. Let me go into complete help, listen, and support mode. How can I help you get what you need? And once you say you've got what you need, then I can shift and say, can I take a turn? And can you help me get something I need in the relationship? Mm. Right? We've learned this in 
anyone who's been in intimate relationships for any amount of time probably knows what yeah. I'm talking about. It works better. So this brings a little of that wisdom into your things, right? So this is just one little example. And there's a good, you know, 10 of these you can take right away from Holacracy to transform the way you work, even if you don't have the power to change your whole company's power structure. So I'd encourage anyone in that space, read the book or go to one of our, our trainings or somebody else's training. There's a whole network of people that do this. You can find them on our website. Interesting. Um, and you know, you'll find things you can take and apply immediately. Yes, and, and to our listeners and, and viewers, we'll put, we'll put the link on of the book and the training so they would be able to find it in the description. So um, now let's talk about the future of Holacracy, right? So we are talking about now machine um, integrated into a normal work um, structure. So we have AI, we have machines, we have autonomous um, systems. How would that how would that change the dynamics of how Holacracy um, is trying to deploy? Like how how would it, so what has changed uh, in in your perception of how the organization uh, needs to be run with these um, new new workforce emerging? If 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 I can have your perspective on that. Yeah, um, you know I think. Uh, time is making things like holacracy, self-management, self-organization more and more uh, needed. Um, let me say it this way. Manage the reason I'm doing this work and talking about new ways of organizing is not because management hierarchy has failed mm. us. Uh, it's actually worked incredibly well for incredibly long, right? I mean, we've been running companies this way for a long time, and it's not that it's completely failed. In fact, the world we have today, with all the wonderful things in it, has been built mostly with companies running with management hierarchy. So the issue is management hierarchy has succeeded so wildly that it's created a world more complex than it can manage. Mm. So it's as complexity increases that a top-down centralized control system starts showing its limits, right? Just like feudal empires actually managed top-down economic planning reasonably well, but in our modern world, that's failed miserably. The complexity is much higher. Right, so, um, and that increases with technology, with uh, the new generation, younger people going into the workforce are demanding new things, right? And, and the, the competition for talent is heating up. What, show me the, the people in our grandparents' generation that demanded purpose and autonomy and, you know, meaning in their, their work, but what, what you know, um, millennial do you know who says, I just want a good job that, you know, gives me money to feed my family and all I want is a stable paycheck. Mm -hmm. No, they want purpose and meaning and autonomy and like, it's, I mean, the generational shift is, is bringing it, the pace of change increasing, the complexity of our world is increasing. Um, those things are demanding more uh, new approaches and I think whether it's holacracy or something else, it's demanding more self-organization. That's how nature deals with complexity. It, distributes the authority to organize throughout every system in the body. Every cell is a self-organizing entity in your body, right? Uh, they have autonomy and yet they're part of a larger system. And it's it's that kind of complex uh, response to complexity or, or distributed control system we need. So um, over time, we're learning better ways to, to get there. Uh, Holacracy is one path. There's software now. We have a software tool that supports this and makes it easier for companies to adopt this. Um, 
it's 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 an interesting learning journey. I think as a you know uh, a whole world, uh, and there's some great books on this, not just mine, that look at you know how to bring self-management and self-organization into companies today. And there's a lot we're still learning. But no, that's that's good. And 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 I think um, thank you so much um, for shedding light on holacracy. And um, uh, we are we are at the tail end of the conversation. And I think. I want to spend few minutes on, on your journey, and and if if you if you would let me, um, before we do that, I again I thank you enough for um, being really candid about uh, this framework and walking us through what it means. And I I would post links to our listeners and viewers so they can learn more about this and learn more about ways they can they could engage and and, and get the organizations um, to think about something like this framework. So I do appreciate your time on that. So. Um, um, at this point, I want to dis- I want to talk to you about, um, and we ask this to lo- all of our guests. If we would say a couple of things that has helped you became what you be- what you have become, right? Which has helped you be what you are. What what would that be? What would you attribute those qualities to uh, that has helped you shape the way you are? Oh man, oh, that's that's a fascinating question. Um, uh, so some some of it for me was uh, just throwing myself in situations that were over my head. <laughs> I started my first company when I was pretty young. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, I uh, dropped out of school and started in uh, being an entrepreneur really young. Started in the working world really young. Um, for me, just leaning into those risks and those unknowns certainly helped. Having the right mentors, the right people in my life, that has been amazing. Um, the right books, the right uh, trainings. I mean, just exploring um, stuff, finding finding the kind of people that were pushing the envelope of, of anything or everything in organization um, in the world, really. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, it's just so much. I, I, it's it's hard to to even pick specific things. Um, I mean, I think to so much, such an extent, we are a product of uh, the people we spend time with, the environments we're in, and uh, I was lucky to get in with some really, really amazing people and environments. Beautiful, and and um, we asked all of our guests to share some of their favorite reads, some of their books that 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 they have read. Um, do you have some that you could share with our listeners and viewers? Absolutely. So uh, one of the ones that I'd heartily recommend on the topic we've been talking about. Um, is Fretcher Kalulu's book. Uh, it's a new book called Reinventing Organizations. Mm. And it looks at this whole paradigm shift to a radically new way of organizing. Uh, he writes about holacracy, but a lot of other things as well. And he looks at the broader principles and paradigm in it. Um, so Reinventing Organizations, amazing. Uh, personally, older book, uh, one of the most impactful books on my own personal and professional development. And frankly, the only reason I think I can stay sane while filling 30 roles and doing tons of stuff building companies uh, is David Allen's book mm-hmm. "Getting Things Done"? No, hands down. David's also now a board. Mm-hmm. Yeah, David's an amazing guy. Uh, his book is incredible for anyone who's struggling with just the demands of of the world and all of these demands on our attention. Um, his book's amazing. Uh, there, there have been, I mean, many, many others. It's it's hard to pick a few, but uh, I'll go with those two. It's just top of head. Beautiful. And now we are the last but not the least part of the conversation, and. Uh, if you want our listeners and viewers to take away something from this conversation, what would that be? Like, what would be your takeaway um, uh, for for our listeners and viewers? Yeah, I, I think just some curiosity. 
uh, you know, there's there's got to be a better way to do things than the way we've been doing them for the past hundred years of running companies. Um, you don't have to, you know, believe that holacracy is necessarily the answer. Hell, I don't believe that. You know, I, I think it's a work in progress and we're learning. Um, it just may be a better answer than management hierarchy in a lot of cases. Um, but, you know, get curious and explore. There are other ways to organize. Uh, there are radically new ways to organize power in a company and they work better. Um, I think if there's one message I want people to really get, it's there are other ways and perhaps be skeptical, but explore maybe work better. Uh, and so dive in, get curious and see what's out there. Beautifully put. Uh, with that, thank you so much, Brian, for for your time. And thank you so much for um, uh, being gracious and, and helping us understand the future of work and future of um, organization. And thank you for for uh, for the amazing work that you're doing wishing you nothing but success there and um thank you